Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. You know, if you are having difficulty worshiping today, it's probably a sad commentary on the rest of the week. <laughs> the reality of it is that usually the biggest, the biggest issue with our worship of Him is how we define worship. Because our worship is like the widow's mite. You remember that story about the widow who put her meager offering in? Our worship is like the widow's mite. It's not about the quantity. It's about the heart behind it. And if you take what faith God has given you and you determine to put your focus and your delight and your desire towards him, it might be just the widow's mite, but it is worship. We can worship him. In this small gathering right here, this worship can be as loud as, as, the, as the noise in heaven when God, when God shines forth in his glory. Because within you, the glory of heaven resides. That's his life. If I define worship by how pious I can be or how entertaining I can be or how many tears I can shed, it'll depend on the day as to how great my worship will be. But if I define worship as just the widow's might of my faith towards him, then it will always be consistent and full. Today we're going to begin our journey through 2 Corinthians, and it's pretty exciting. 1 Corinthians was a letter of correction, a letter of instruction. It was about addressing the problems of the church in Corinth, and 2 Corinthians is personal. It's almost like a biographical letter that Paul writes. It gives us a look into the soul of Paul. It describes what Paul is about and how he endures his hardships and afflictions. Many times I've asked the question as I've read the Pauline letters, what keeps this guy going? How does he endure? And the, and the question behind that is, why? Why? Oh, come on, don't look at me all pious. You know you've asked the same question. It's true. Well... From a purely human standpoint, Paul's life really makes no sense at all, does it? It just doesn't. Paul's life was supernatural, not because of the miracles he performed, but because of the way he lived it. So we're going to prayerfully look at this epistle together. And this epistle, through the revelation of the Spirit, will teach you by example and will grow you in your determination to live in a supernatural way. Now... We as Americans, particularly as American Christians, we live in an age of prosperity. And while we have known troubles and difficulties, they are not considered normal and they're rarely ongoing. We live fairly insulated lives with 
enough distractions and coping mechanisms to pad any kind of discomfort we may be experiencing. The struggles of this life are typically, for us, self-inflicted. More of that than what the world does to us. The Christianity as a religion in America has assumed the same lethargic position, the same posture, to the point where we have turned worship into a polished entertainment and missionary journeys into a glorified sightseeing tour with an evangelical emphasis. It's troubling. We have forgotten what we were called to. Matthew 4, 5, and 6. It doesn't say, blessed are the prosperous. It doesn't say, blessed are the comfortable. It doesn't say, blessed are the strong. Or blessed are the popular. Or blessed are those who capture the media's attention. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who mourn. And every one of those blesseds, without much exception, God is talking about the blessing of his comfort. The blessing of his attendance. The blessing of his nurture. That's the wealth that heaven recognizes. That's the blessing that the angels applaud. And that is what we were made for. That's what we walk this planet to know. We've been called to a life of faith. We have been called to a life of trouble. We have been called to a life where victory, prosperity, peace, comfort, joy, and hope are defined in the person of Christ, not in our circumstances. This is a life of faith. That means that life for us is spiritual, it's not physical. That should change how we view the troubles and the hardships of life, how we really endure. And as Paul pins this letter, after enduring much persecution and pain, he has suffered rejection and scorn, not only from the world, but also from the Christians. One statement I read said, the letter culminates a seven-year history that has been marked by continuous challenges to his apostolic authority, personal spirituality, pastoral credentials, and even criticism of his personal appearance and speaking ability. How many of you would continue in the ministry? That's a tough road. And all of this coming from the Corinthian church, a church that he founded and spent more time with than any other church. A year and a half of teaching and discipling. 18 months. Yet they were rebellious, divisive, full of pride and envy. They had issues with sexual immorality and idolatry. They were even competitive and envious in the expression of spiritual gifts. Now, Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians actually prior to this one. There are more letters to the Corinthians than are placed in the Bible. I believe three of them are lost. And he wrote one right prior to this one, and it is lost as well. He'll talk about it later, but we don't have the letter. It was a very stern letter of correction. And after sending it, Paul really begins to feel remorseful and very concerned about how the Corinthians were going to receive this because he was pretty tough on them. In fact, he was so anxious about it, after sending Titus to deliver the letter, 
he calculated the point of Titus's return and traveled a great distance in order to intercept Titus so that he could get some word as to how the Corinthians received this letter. Well, Paul was very relieved when he heard that the letter was well received and there was repentance on the part of the Corinthians. They even disciplined the offending members who were stirring up problems within the membership. But they were equally repentant of their treatment of Paul, which hadn't been very good. So Paul begins this letter in 2 Corinthians with words of encouragement. And you'll hear this one word over and over again, the word comfort. Let's look at our text. We'll start at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read for you verses 1 and 2 to begin with. It says, Paul, an apostle, a special messenger of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church assembly of God, which is at Corinth, and to all the saints, the people of God throughout Achaia, that's most of Greece, grace, favor, and spiritual blessing to you, and heart peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Now, obviously, these first two verses are a salutation or a greeting for this letter. And Paul begins by declaring his apostolic authority as a special messenger of Christ. An apostle means a sent one. The importance was never in the messenger, but always in the one who sent him and the message that was given. And so Paul makes it very plain that this apostleship was not a designation that he earned or one that was given to him by heritage, as so many were, but he was chosen by the will of God. God chooses us before we choose him. Do you realize that? We uh, often lose sight of that because what happens is after God chooses us and he saves us and he redeems us and he creates us in literally into new creations, we begin to believe by virtue of the enemy's voice and the things around us that we are held only by our grip of him. That he only chooses us and continues to choose us because he sees in our flesh, our behavior, some redeeming quality. Now, none of us who have any education concerning the new covenant would would embrace such an idea, but it's what we feel because that's what we end up living to. When the reality of it is just the opposite, it's not the branch that holds on to the vine, it's the vine that holds on to the branch. It's not the branch's life that sustains it, it's the life of the vine that sustains the branch. It is not the fruit of the branch, it is the fruit of the vine. In every case, the whole of the arrangement is dependent upon Christ alone, isn't it? And it was Christ alone who chose Paul. It was not Paul who chose Paul. It was not Christ looking down upon Paul and saying, well, you know, I think he might have the right qualifications. Paul literally says in in another epistle, he says, my qualifications were as dung. I counted all trash, garbage. Why? Because I couldn't enter into the ministry dependent upon anything that I could do or have done. What is the ministry of Christ dependent upon in you? Do you feel like a minister? You are. Why? You're a branch. What does a branch do? If he is in Christ, he will bear much abundant fruit. Your ministry is the fruit of God. doesn't say might. Doesn't say maybe. He gives this salutation 
declares his position, tells him he was chosen by the will of God. And then he adds Timothy, our brother. He doesn't refer to Timothy as an apostle, but Timothy was, a, was very dear to Paul. Paul considered him as a son or a brother. And Timothy was familiar to the Corinthians. That's why he says, our brother. Because Timothy and Silas were there when Paul founded that church. And then Paul says to the saints, says to them, to all the saints. He calls them saints. Now, I just read to you a list of the, some of the things that were going on. Would you define any of those things as the activity of a saint? Would you define any of your activity as the activity of a saint? Hmm? But he calls them all saints, everyone. And saint is translated from the Greek word hagios, meaning holy or holy ones. What does that mean? Consecrated unto God. Consecrated unto God, listen, by God. By God. Not by effort, not by behavior, but by God himself. Now, why did Paul call them saints? They had mistreated him. They had abused him. They had been involved in all kinds of wickedness. They had divided the fellowship. They had done all manner of wickedness to him and his reputation. I'll tell you why. It's the same thing he asks us to do. Paul sees these people the way God sees them. Paul sees them the way God sees them. Look at your enemy. How are you seeing him? How do you see them? How, how do you see your spouse? How do you see your children? You are not to live by eyes and ears of flesh. You are to live by the eyes and ears of the Spirit. For you are a spiritual creature. Paul looks at them and he sees what God sees. He says, saints to the saints. He doesn't see them according to their behavior. He doesn't see them according to their past. To all the saints of Achaia, which that is a Roman province that includes most of Greeks, but interestingly enough, not Athens. And Paul is addressing the church, not just the local body. He didn't say to the fellowship in Corinth. He said all the saints. So it includes every Christian within the reach of this letter. Also, I want you to notice the familial terms that Paul is using. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Timothy is our brother. God is our Father. Now, Paul's not sweet-talking them. He is reminding them of their relationship, the relationship that they're part of it. Now, I want you to think about this. This letter was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is not Paul just musing as he puts pen to paper. This is the inspiration of the Spirit of God. So we are seeing that it is God who desires to be known as their father. That's what you're seeing there. It is God who desires to be known as their father. And it is his desire that they live in the reality of their favor with him and his blessing. God wants them to live in peace. And that is the Greek word... Irene, it means to recognize your peace with God, to know that you have nothing to fear from God. Hebrews 
I'm reading this out of the NASB because there are some translation issues with the uh, Amplified. But it says, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. I have heard that quoted so many times in difficult times. It's quoted it myself, haven't you? And let's see if I can correctly paint the picture that goes on in our hearts as we quote that verse. We say, let us draw near. That is an activity of you moving nearer to God. Isn't that how you would interpret it emotionally? Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Unfortunately, most of the time when I entered into this emotional exercise in the, in the uh, picture of my mind, there wasn't much confidence involved. <laughs> but why did we go here? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So here's the picture. Most Christians read this and they think, okay, when I have a time where I need grace and mercy. When is there a time that you don't need grace and mercy? Tell me that. When is there a time when you don't need to draw near? Just in time of trouble? I don't think so. To draw near is about your faith and confidence in God's heart for you. We do not receive from the heavenly FedEx, grace and mercy. We are receiving and we reckon upon his grace and mercy that surrounds us. His grace and his mercy are inseparable from his presence. And where do you live? In his presence. Recognize that you dwell in his presence. Everything that is needed to live a supernatural life is ours in Christ. Grace and mercy attend us not because of what we are experiencing, but because of who we are. Not because of what we are experiencing, not because we're just having trouble, but because of who we are. It is our constant companion because we live in the presence of God himself. There is no economy whereby we receive more or less of grace and mercy. In order for that economy to work, we would have to receive more or less of Jesus. Okay, so which is it, folks? Are you receiving less of Jesus right now? Are you receiving more of Jesus right now? Some people live like that. That's not faith. If you want to know the truth, that's trusting in your behavior, in your emotions. It's contrary to the Word of God. And put it plainly, it's idolatry. God literally seated us in Christ. And you know where Christ is? At the right hand of the Father. Do you believe you could live inside in the very presence of Christ in the Holy of Holies and not literally be saturated with grace and mercy? I no longer have to pray for grace and mercy. I cry out with confidence and faith. Thank you, Father, that I dwell in the midst of grace and mercy. That I go forward in grace and mercy. That grace and mercy attends my every step. That nothing touches my life without being thoroughly saturated in grace and mercy. Glory to God. We are receiving the fullness of his grace and mercy. Verses 3 and 4. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of sympathy, pity, and mercy, and the God who is the source of every comfort, consolation, and encouragement, who comforts us, consoles us, and encourages us in every trouble, calamity, and affliction, so that we may also be able to comfort, console, and encourage those who are in any kind of trouble or distress with comfort, consolation, and encouragement with which we ourselves are comforted, consoled, and encouraged by God. Do you recognize the emphasis I placed? If you did, you should go back and underline them. Because while you may recognize them with your eyes and hear them with your ears, there are times when your emotions won't buy into them. It says, blessed be God. Now that's a praise. It's in the Jewish tradition. Paul is not speaking, notice that Paul is not speaking or reminiscing about his pain and his afflictions. He is recognizing and declaring God as the source of every comfort. We often see the things around us or the people around us as comfort. But true comfort for the child of God has only one source. Do you realize that if you receive comfort in any degree, true comfort, it has only one source? It wasn't your mother's hug, kiss on the cheek, as comforting as that might have been. For the child of God, there's only one source. What does that mean? God uses many things. He uses the the touch of a friend. He uses the prayers of others. He uses the visitation of, of, of the people you love around you. He uses many things. But understand this. To the degree you are comforted, it is the Lord. It is not man's effort and kindness. When we cry out for the comforting of our souls... And I will tell you that the spirit dwells in the comfort of the Lord. The soul is the only part of us that gets turbulent with circumstances. When we cry out for the comfort of the Lord, recognize that he is the source and you are in him. You are in him. The comfort we received is much more than a feeling. Understand this. Comfort is the attendance of God. That's what comfort is. Do you want to be comforted? Do you want your friends to be comforted? Recognize the presence of God. Draw their focus towards his presence and his life. Hallmark words are wonderful. But there is no comfort there. Comfort is in God alone. It is God who comforts us. That's present tense. It's ongoing. It's not just when we feel like we need it. In every trouble. I love that. Because the enemy, the first thing you do when you fail and fall, the enemy says, oh, you're on your own. God's not going to be there, right? I've got some parents in here. Did you only comfort your child when they they got into trouble that wasn't their fault? Well, that was so I'd get very little comfort growing up. The reality of it is that he comforts you in every trouble, whether you're the cause or not. Every trouble. You ever had a trouble or difficulty or problem that you didn't feel the freedom to pray to God about because you felt like you deserved it? 
God declares through the Spirit of God in the pen of Paul, he says we have a God who literally wants, desires, and is ongoing in the activity of comforting you. You don't even realize it right now, but i got to tell you that you would have fallen apart completely in the last trouble you had or the one before that if there wasn't a God holding you together. Comfort is not in the security of the things around us. Comfort is not in, in the stability of friendships or relationships. Comfort is in the God who holds all things in place and literally comforts you not out of, out of position, not out of his uh, requirement, but out of his heart. He comforts like a mother comforts a child. In fact, that physical relationship is merely a picture of the God of all comfort. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods, just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.